What's going on, everyone? Alex De Silva. I hope you are well and you're having an amazing day, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to another episode. Today, I have a very special guest, Lucy De Silva. She is a psychotherapist in her own private practice in Harley Street. She works as a ketamine-assisted psychotherapist in Knightsbridge. She is an international speaker, TEDx speaker, all in all, amazing mum, wife, friend, <laughs> partner. Welcome to the show, Lucy De Silva. <laughs> Thank you for that absolutely shining introduction. <laughs> How I was, wonderful. I was going to keep it really professional and I was like, ah, fuck it. She's my wife. Oh, I can do it. what I like. That's <laughs> it. Fuck it. <laughs> that's it. It's all gone out the window now. That's it. That's it. Uh, but actually, the reason I wanted to bring Lucy in because She helped me, if you guys have heard my previous episodes, you guys would know that she helped me to get clean and sober and, you know, discover healing in in so many different ways. And she's been sort of a pinnacle, not to to just my recovery and and becoming a a better man, but throughout the years that we've been together and we've done so much work together as well, you know, we've been able to help other men go go through this healing journey. So I wanted to bring Lucy in because she has not just a wealth of experience around mental health and addiction, but also now she's doing so much work with, you know, with ketamine, which I'm really interested if, you know, for you guys to to learn more about, but her story is also phenomenal. So I want to open the floor to, to Lucy to just introduce herself and to tell you about her story and how she got into where she is today. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Um, So as Alex said earlier, um, well, uh, Alex, or as you said earlier, are we conversing with each other? Is that that how we do it? (laughs) Um, So yes, as you said earlier, um, I work as a psychotherapist in private practice. So I'm based out of my home practice in Biggleswade, uh, but also I have a, an office at Harley Street and uh, the ketamine work is at a clinic in Knightsbridge. So I work with a, a wonderful team over there, which I'll talk a little bit about a bit later on. Um, so uh, my professional stuff, I think maybe I'll come back to because you did say talk a little bit about my background. So um, so I um, I come from a traumatic um, childhood, um, which this I won't really sort of go into too much of the detail but in a nutshell there was a lot of abuse um a lot of uh physical abuse and uh, emotional abuse and also some sexual abuse as well which went on for a number of years um and because of that I developed some really detrimental uh behaviors I mean I use the word detrimental but they helped me to to cope over the years um to help to try i was you know what i was attempting to to um regulate my emotions because of the trauma that had happened to me and all the pain and all the sadness and all the grief that i'd gone through so i developed a lot of uh, addictive behaviors i developed a very serious eating disorder um and i was an all-round quite a sad and lonely individual for a long time and um I relied on <clears throat> the use of alcohol and drugs to get me through my late teens and my 20s and then I got to uh, 30 and and re- uh, hit a, a rock bottom really with all all of the behaviors that I'd been using to help me to cope for so long had started to not work anymore and uh, I finally realized that you know this couldn't this just couldn't go on for the rest of my life and actually I was gonna work myself into an early grave I really did realize that and I was working for an insurance company in the city at the time Uh, I was very lucky to have private health care and a, a, a good a very dear friend of mine who I'm still a good friend who's still a good friend of mine now had suggested um that I look at 
the uh, treatment centre in North London, uh, a very well-known one, uh, which I, I don't know if I should mention, really. I think I, I think they're wonderful. I mean, I think they did some wonderful work with me. Oh, fuck it. Uh, the Priory in North London. Um, so if anyone's listening from there, thank you. Um, and uh, she, she suggested to me, uh, what do you think about going to get some help with, uh, with you know, I was sort of saying that I was depressed and I, I was in huge denial around my drinking and my drug, drug use um, and also my eating disorder as well. Uh, and and the way she sort of framed it seemed a bit more appealing to me. Um, so it kind of she sowed a seed. And then when I reached my rock bottom, um, I knew that there was a place that I could reach out to that may be able to help me. So um, I made an appointment. Uh, well, what I actually did do was that I went to the doctors and said to them that I was depressed and that I needed to be signed off of work. And I just sat in the flat I was living at at the time and drank and drank and drank and uh, passed out and ordered in takeaways. Then I binged and I purged. And now I can look back in hindsight and I realise that actually it was the beginning of the end. There must have been some somewhere in me that I knew that it was this needed to be almost like the crescendo of my drinking and my and my eating disorder uh because I did wake up I remember waking up on the bathroom floor and just realizing you know I was covered in I'd wet myself and I'd been sick all over myself and I I, and I remember thinking this just can't be normal like normal people mustn't wake up um on a bathroom floor covered in your own god knows what uh and and think that oh I'm just you know I'm going to get up now that's it I'm going to go about my day it just uh, it was a real um light bulb moment for me and um and I and I and I took the referral from the doctor and I went uh, I made I made a phone call I got a, an appointment with uh, a psychiatrist uh, at at the at the uh, treatment center uh, and I remember going over there and making my way over and not really knowing what to expect and I remember sort of coming up to if anyone knows the Priory in North London it's a very very long driveway and the driveways is it, it looks as, as soon as you sort of enter into the driveway you know there's a, I had a bit of imposter syndrome because I was like oh my god like this place it's you know it's it's a beautiful place it's an old stately building and I you know and I put I because I got a taxi from Southgate Station. I didn't know how close it was because I'd never been, and pulled up to this beautiful stately home. And I thought, my oh my god, like I'm 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 just a girl from a council estate in East London, you know. And what am I doing here? Because I'd heard a lot about the Priory over the years of you know that it being quite a um, a sort of high end treatment centre. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, went up to the receptionist and, and she said, oh, you know, yeah, yeah you're, you're, uh, if you want to take a seat in the waiting area and, and there's a big staircase that leads up two sides and there's a huge um, picture of like a Lord of some sort. And um, yeah, and, uh, <clears throat> long story short, they were, they were just wonderful. Um I got assessed by the psychiatrist and then they brought in one of the therapists from the addiction treatment program. Um, and she was just wonderful. She was just like a, a warm blanket that I'd been searching for all of my life. And and she said, you know, we're, we're, we're going to take care of you. And I always remember that moment because um, it was that was what I'd just been longing to hear for a really, really long time. And so I remember that they said, yeah, you know, I think you should come in for treatment uh, you know, maybe go home and settle yourself and, and get, you know, get packed. And, <clears throat> and I said, No, I just I, I just don't, I don't want to leave. I'm, I'm I was genuinely scared that I weren't going to come back if I went. And I said, please, please, just can you see if you can get me a bed now, like, see if there's one available. And she was really lovely. She went off and she came back and they took me in there and then. Uh, they put me on a detox program of Librium and um, that's where my journey started. Uh, uh, the The treatment centre is a 12-step treatment centre. 
and they they integrate the uh, peer melody model of um, dysfunctional childhood and trauma and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful program. And I'm all, like eternally grateful that they held me and contained me and you know but you know also a lot of people will say when they go into treatment they'll go in with one addiction and come out with 20 and it's uh, I certainly learned that about myself really really quickly when I was mm. in there like I went in for my drinking and my drug use and my my eating disorder wasn't even you know on my mind and it all got sort of pulled out of me and there's a period of time where they kind of break you down and then they build you back up again and I was in there for the 28 days and yeah and that's that was 10 nearly 10 years ago so I went in July 2014 um that's where my journey started uh and I got sober and um you know and 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 here we are today years and years of of self-development self-work trauma work uh in the recent years psychedelic work um you know absolutely phenomenal journey and what I've got gained from taking those steps and being brave you know because what I've learned over the years is if you want it to to go you need to go through it you know you have to you have to run through the fire to get to the other side and it's gonna hurt for a little while um but once that layer is gone you know it will get easier um and that's what I've discovered for myself over the years it's it's excruciatingly painful to begin with um and you know physical illness as well as a result of you know all this years of toxic shame coming to the surface um but you know I I just have the most wonderful life now which I absolutely do attribute to to being in recovery and you know as you know being my husband you know I've got you and I've got all four of the beautiful kiddies that we've got and you know, a, a wonderful thriving career and a beautiful home and and safety and love and just all the real kind of foundation things that I've been looking for over the years, searching in external things when really what I had mm. to discover was that it was always, it was always within me. Yeah. It? Is. Sorry, I was going to say, you know, in I think it's in the Wizard of Oz, isn't it? She discovers that everything she needs, mm. she's already got. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's so true. And I think I wanted to actually ask you as you, you're talking about your own story and and as you know you know the these episodes are designed to to help men to break through you know these these issues these addictions these traumas and and to be able to 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 overcome these barriers and as you know as you've seen it with me is something that it's tough mm-hmm. you know and you described it as as a tough journey as well and the reason mm-hmm. I wanted to bring you in is you know, for you to describe your journey, but also to show that from both ends, from both angles, from both sexes, you know, it's not an easy journey. The journey will still be hard. It's going to be tough. But as you kind of touched on, you know, the reward at the other end, you know, is so much greater. And you also touched on slightly around, you know, the fact that we we search so much externally for mm. for the solutions when in fact, you know, everything we need is within us. Sometimes mm-hmm. we just need that guidance. Mm-hmm. But here's something I want your opinion on. You know, why do men struggle more? Why is it harder for men to come into recovery, to go to therapy, to get a coach, to do the necessary work in mind, body, spirit? What do you think in your years of experience now in this professional field? Why do men struggle more? Why is it harder for them to get it? Because, and we can both speak on this, where women seem to be so much more willing, whereas with with men, it just seems to be so much harder. Mm. Um, societal conditioning, generational conditioning, um, and the the lessons that that men have learned of what what they're supposed to be it doesn't have to be any more complex than that because that is so deep for men um and i've seen that in my work with in my in my um in my practice work with with clients um and um you know i see it all the time around me as well it takes i think it's it's unfortunately because women are deemed as the the emotional ones 
and men are deemed as the unemotional ones that unfortunately it runs so deep because it's not necessarily just their stuff they're going to need to work through it's generational stuff as well so it's a whole lineage of ancestral stuff that is piled and piled and piled on top of them and it's it's very hard to break through the core of that because i think that the belief is that um uh, pride and uh, a strength and strength deemed as uh, not being a sissy um, is of the utmost of importance, which has been lessons that have been, you know, taught to, to boys since they were old enough to understand language. And, uh, and that unfortunately is, uh, is something that I'm trying to help men with that I work with but it's it can be a massive barrier and a massive roadblock. Um, but if men are willing to believe that there, there can be a different way of being on the other side, all they have to do to begin with is just have some hope, you know, because if you're imagining, if you imagine a big brick wall in front of you and you don't have anything to break it down with, you're going to need to take it out brick by brick. You know, you can't, you don't have a hammer, you don't have a, what's that called? Wrecking ball, Miley Cyrus sang about that one, didn't she? Uh, if you don't have a wrecking ball, don't have a hammer, don't have a truck to drive through it, you know, you're going to need to chip away at it in some way, you know, maybe find a little tool to chip away and take one brick out at a time. But if men can believe and understand that that's the process that can work and be patient with the process and and understand that a lot of it isn't actually their fault, then, you know, they have a fighting chance of being being the man that they really want to be. And that means being emotional and being vulnerable um, and crying and being okay with crying you know if if they were taught by both of their parents or even one of them or even someone in their family that boys or men don't cry then that's that's a seed and that's an ingrained um, uh, belief or core belief that's going to be really really hard to untangle uh, because you know that little part of them will think well I won't be loved by x y and z anymore if i if i you know if i change that belief about myself and actually that's bullshit that's not even that's not even true because uh the love that you give yourself should be the most the priority in all of this mm. yeah Mary, it's very true you touched on the damaging language that's something i'd quite like you to to, to go into because it's so important, I think, for men to understand the way that not only they receive the language from their parents, both parents, especially fathers, fathers to son. That's something which, you know, is 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 important because a lot of the times that's kind of where that language gets gets passed down. But also as well, as you mentioned, that kind of transgenerational trauma, you know, where it goes lineage you know, back to, you know, to, to how men speak to each other, to how society portrays us. And I want you to kind of just touch on that a little bit more because it's, it's so important, I think, for men to understand that the societal conditioning, the pressures, all of these things that have been put on us you know, these languages that are being used, especially now, you know, you've got toxic masculinity before you couldn't be, you couldn't be, you, you couldn't be alpha male enough. You know, you were too much of a wuss if you were in, you know, if you weren't alpha male now, if you were supposed to be an alpha male, then you're toxic masculinity. But then when you look at what toxic masculinity is, that in itself is, 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 you know, is a whirlwind of, of confusion. And I think this is where not just, a lot of teenagers, young men, you know, who are kind of going into adulthood are really struggling to, to find a place in society where they can be men because that the, the languages that are being used in social media, at home, in school, especially, um, you know, in the workplace, everybody now is so frightened to say the wrong thing that, you know, we're we're seeing more and more how how that's damaging people. What's your 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 thoughts and 
in, in your views on that? On, um, you mean the words that the, people use? Yeah, the words that are being used and how society, you know, how that's that's got a huge part to play in, in you know, in how men are, are struggling. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I mean, like like I said earlier, I think that it is it is um, it it is the sort of three. It is a societal conditioning. It is the it's also the family dynamics as well. You know, if you learnt from your father or you learnt from your grandfather or you worked from your uncle, wh- who you know, whichever men were in your life growing up. But like you say, like I think there's a lot of confusion in society. Uh, particularly you know we're talking about the sort of masculine side of things and I think that um, the true essence of masculinity has is being lost and what what that means because it's not about being a man it's the essence of masculinity and and what I mean by that is you know in our relationship I have my strength of of being a, a strong female energy in our relationship in our home with our children with you know and that stretches far and beyond but you have your essence of what masculinity means as well and I think that some of that can also be a bit demonized as well you know because we we were talking about this the other day weren't we that there are still roles that you know a man needs to play in Mm. the family system and a woman needs to play in a family system Uh, and I think unfortunately society is starting to dilute that as well and look I don't have anything against what people want to be you know if you're finding yourself and and that can mean many many things I think as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else then just fucking do it go for it you know if you if you're a man and you want to wear a dress you know fill your boots Uh, if you're a woman and you feel that you're more pulled towards you know your masculine masculinity then you want to explore that I I genuinely I genuinely don't think there's anything wrong with that but I think what I am saying is that um, the true essence of what is masculine and the true essence of also what is feminine as well but I know we're sort of focusing on men here is being lost and diluted and unfortunately people who want to be seen in the um in the traditional way of what a woman is and the traditional way of what a man is are also being um you know they're they're being cast out sometimes by which I heard you know in the younger generation they're being judged for just wanting to be a girl or a woman or just wanting to be a boy or a man. And that's that's frightening because, you know, everyone should be accepted for what they want to be. Um, and I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of digressing a bit, but the point I was making is that I think that I feel like what we need to sort of look at a little bit more is going back to what a masculine energy is about um and some of those things are kind of a bit primal in a way you know and primitive you know because uh, and i and i don't mean that you know it's it's sort of saying it's okay to go and bang anything that moves you know we yeah. are living in a society where you know you marry and you choose to marry or you you choose to be in a relationship with someone and when you choose to be in a relationship with someone what what I believe is that you choose to commit yourself to that partner. Um, you know, if if you do want to be single and, um, you know, explore uh, different kind of relationships, then again, you know, if you choose to do that, then then fine. But I think that uh, I think, uh, you know, w- what what we need to sort of bring it back to is that uh, there are roles that masculine you know the masculine side has and there are roles that the feminine side has as well Uh, and not to be afraid of that of exploring that masculinity for yourself and that old view of you know men don't cry toughen up and all of that that's bullshit it's Mm. utter bullshit because being a real man is having access to your emotions and not fucking being afraid of it um you know crying isn't a bad thing it's an absolute strength um and I've seen you you know I've seen you cry I've seen you become emotional and you know sometimes I'm like bloody hell 
like he cries more than I do now. <laughs> turn around and you're tearing up, and I'm like, are you a mosh again? <laughs> I think it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful, and that's mm. what men should be proud of. You know, men should be proud that they have access to those emotions, and that mm. it's natural. It's very, very natural. Yeah, it is, and it, and, it, and this is why I wanted to to just get your your view on it because that's something for me. I really struggled with as a as a man to connect with that with that emotion to understand what I can and can't process, you know, because mm. well, women have them. Why is it okay for them to do it? But why not me? Mm. Why am I seen in this way when when in fact I just want to let go of this shit because it is causing mm-hmm. me so much pain? Mm. And eventually, you know, when I did process it and I did let go of it, I didn't all of a sudden just want to cry every single minute of the day or just you know put a skirt on and kind of go oh, I'm going to be Sally today it's just one of these things that I learned the benefits of processing those emotions the benefits of becoming vulnerable the benefits of of releasing this stuff in mind body spirit and being able to to just go I don't have to hold on to this shit anymore mm. you know and this is the thing that I I really try to share, and I'm glad you kind of touched on, you know, being able to share emotions positively and not in a sense where you have no control of your emotions, where you, you know, where you completely lose control. Because I think, you know, man and women who completely lose control and have no self-control whatsoever, that can be quite dangerous, mm. you know, for themselves and and for others. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on on that? And how do you think, you know, men could healthily process their emotions um so uh, on the first point you make about um you know having control over your emotions it's um yeah it's it's very important to to define that um it's you know um men and women uh should ideally they want to feel their emotions they want to experience them they want to whatever that is, sadness, happiness, grief, anger, joy, whatever, a whole, whole host of different emotions, experience them, process them, and then let them go. Um, I think it's really important to to do that in, in a healthy way. But when you sort of said about, you know, uh, this sense of being out of control of your emotions, uh, that that can happen as well. And that that's also that that's probably more on the end of the scale of not having adequate uh, regulation, emotional regulation when you were whoever was a child. Um, so it's really important that when you're bringing up children that they learn how to uh, they can't. Sorry, back back a little bit. They can't self-regulate up until a certain age because they they just don't have the ability to they 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 need to learn regulating their emotions through co-regulation which is usually your mum or your dad or your caregiver whoever it is that's closest to you will help you to understand the emotions to to process them to through communication and through various other methods Um, but unfortunately a lot of people won't have had that as a child from their caregivers or their parents and so very early on they don't learn how to adequately uh, regulate their emotions so process their emotions and that's why um, behaviors start to form at sort of later kid later child childhood years into early early teen teens and then early adults um so a lot of the time what can happen is when you start your journey into some whatever form of recovery is that you're coming into you may be out of control of your emotions as well and that's also okay but I think if people understand that part of the process they can handle that in the right way some people may need to be contained and what I mean by that is I I went I was lucky to go into treatment into a residential treatment center um what I would recommend for you know because we are sort of aiming towards men on this podcast 
that they if they are sort of starting their journey into an emotional recovery recovery let's say that they they um they find community they find their tribe or they find you know just a handful of people that are going to help them to co-regulate because they may not be able to regulate themselves enough until they start to learn tools and techniques to do that um so it might mean that you find uh, a uh, a fellowship that will handle that you know you've got uh, for people with substance issues you've got aa and ca and na uh, for people who have grown up in dysfunctional homes you've got aca which deals with childhood trauma um and then you've obviously got you know people who may be struggling with sex and love that you know addicted to those behaviors sex and love addiction sla um a, a fellowship um and you know you uh, you've got a uh, uh, eating disorder fellowships and anyway I could go on but mm. what I would suggest in is to form some form of community so uh, find a trusted group of people who are going to help to co-regulate you and if not work with a therapist um, and yeah and then and then that will help you to sort of start um, having a bit more control over your emotional emotional state so mm. uh, was there there was a second part of your question as well but i can't remember what it was now i was so deep listening to you i forgot <laughs> it as well <laughs> um but you know what i would like to from what you just said there what i wanted to explore a little bit further because you touched on the fellowships which also helped me you know when when you and i met you were in the fellowship and i got introduced to it and i found my recovery that way you know so lucy went in through a treatment center i came in through a 12 step Lucy continued and we both then continue going down that road. But what I wanted to, to mention, which I think this is where I like Lucy to kind of go down. The 12 step programs are phenomenal. They're incredible. Whatever form of addiction you're, you're struggling with, a 12 step program, you know, really does work. It's an action-based program. So you do need to put the action in. You can't just go in there, sit in a meeting and just blabber for, for an hour. You do need to, to, to follow what the, the steps say and also get connected with unity service recovery. Now, one of the things that I have found is the 12 steps are fantastic. And we've seen that and we've both been clean for, for, for years now, but it doesn't work or it doesn't provide a solution for the deep stuff, the, the, the trauma, the things that are deep rooted. And as we've come to understand, deep rooted issues are ones that need to be really, really looked at. And as you know yourself, even coaching and therapy sometimes doesn't work because the work is is so deeply rooted that you know we need to explore other options which you know we've we've both go down you know we've gone down the the kind of the the plant medicine route the psychedelic route and and now you've engaged in working with 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 ketamine i'd love for you to to just touch on that because there is obviously now this world exploding you know, and this huge exploration around plant medicine, psychedelic, and you know, you're you're doing your your ketamine work. So I'd love for you to to touch on that because coming from a therapeutic perspective, you know, you go into the root of the problem, you know, you help the client to go in, deep dive in into the past, find that root, pull it from the root, and you know, and and kind of help them to to thrive. But in your experience, and maybe bring the professional and personal experience of how how powerful how useful um plant medicine and accountant work um has been for me <clears throat> i just had a coughing fit sorry um yeah. for me or sorry was you did you say for me and professionally yeah so from yeah. a from a personal and professional uh perspective um how has that further helped your 
your healing process, especially from, you know, from, from trauma, uh, deep rooted trauma, bodily trauma. Mm. Yeah. So on a personal level, um, I mean, <clears throat> obviously I, I mentioned about coming into recovery through the fellowship and um, feeling, <clears throat> excuse me, deeply grateful for finding recovery through that way. Um, and listen, <clears throat> I, I absolutely love the 12 step program. Uh, and the interesting thing about the 12 step program, which, you know, some people may or may not know, is that um, Bill, who was one of the uh, founders of the program, Bill Wilson, I want to say, mm -hmm. yeah, Bill Wilson, yeah. Uh, Bill Wilson uh, actually had uh, early on in formulating the 12-step program he was working with lsd mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> and it was his uh, use of lsd that gave him a huge spiritual awakening and his uh, vision was to bring psychedelics into the 12-step program this was put to uh, a number of people who were working on formulating the program <clears throat> and uh, there was a firm no <laughs> involved in the decision um you know which which happened for whatever reason it was meant to but um some people may or may not know that actually that there are psychedelics and, and bill wilson worked with psychedelics in his recovery <clears throat> very early on and he wanted to bring it into the program um so uh so yeah so there's you know there's history of of psychedelics even being used uh for addiction recovery many many years ago um so I going back to my personal story I had been in recovery for a, a good number of years and and I felt like there was um I would got to a stage where I was hitting a bit of a brick wall I couldn't I wasn't I didn't feel like I was progressing any further there was something else that I needed to do to reach some deep layers of my trauma that the uh, the rooms and what I mean by the rooms is the fellowship <clears throat> and also uh, therapy wasn't really touching anymore for me. Um, and they call it in in the uh, medicine psychedelic world, plant medicine world, they call it that the the plant, the plants, the medicine starts to call you. Mm -hmm. And I started to sort of um, become curious about ayahuasca. I was reading up a bit about ayahuasca um, and I started watching some documentaries. I started to learn about psilocybin, which is which, of course, we call magic mushrooms. Um, and uh, it really fascinated me. But my <clears throat> my personal uh, view around it was starting to shift in that. Obviously, the 12 step program is any mind or mood, to, mood altering substances. So I was very much condition to believe that if if I was to ingest any sort of what you deem as a substance that oh my god would that mean that I wasn't sober anymore <clears throat> so it was a bit of a struggle for me to start with but I you know I think that everything happens for the right reasons and I and you know it all kind of just started to the universe placed people in my path that gave me the opportunity to explore plant medicine in a way where I was safe and I was contained and I was working with people who were very experienced in, in using the medicine. Um, and, you know, and, and I, and I was brave enough to, to, to know that actually the reason why I was doing this or why I was going to, to work on, um, to, sorry, to use this medicine was nothing to do with recreational purposes. It was because, I knew that it was going to give me the next stage of healing that I was seeking. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and, you know, if anyone is listening, that's gone to do ceremonial work or worked with ayahuasca or psilocybin or 5-MeO DMT or anything like that, they will know that there's no way you're going to go into a ceremony, come out of it the next day and be like, woo, uh, I want to come back and do that again next week or tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to go and find myself a bit of 5-MeO DMT and I'm going to use it or, you know, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> no. You will come out of that ceremony and be like, fuck that. I am not doing that for a long time. Like, there is no <laughs> desire to, to, to use anything because 
you know, when you go into these this ceremonial work, you work and you graft hard. You know, there's no sitting around and twiddling your thumbs and having a good old laugh. And, you know, it's just not like that, especially if you work with the medicine in conjunction with holotropic breathwork uh, or breathwork of any kind. Um, and, um, you know, the, what comes up in these ceremonies is stuff that you, you know, you can't even really understand at the time. It's it's trauma that's yours. It's trauma that's not yours. It's ancestral trauma. It's past life trauma. You know, it's 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 so it's so diverse, and and you know that your brain can't really even process it at the time. And so, of course, that's why integration is obviously a very important part of the process as well. <clears throat> and what I, I'll talk a bit about integration in a minute. Um, so my own personal experience of that is it's it's absolutely exploded my self-development in that you know the things that it's cleared for me the things I've been able to work through um the way and what the way in which and then it's 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 influenced my professional career as well so then once I'd had uh my a number of journeys myself I then went on to study with a teacher a spiritual teacher who is based out in California and I studied um, how to serve psilocybin and how to work with psilocybin with clients and you know learning about the history of it uh, where where it where it comes from how long it's been used for how it's grown and cultivated um, what it does to the brain regions uh, how it affects you somatically as well and how it clears certain things and um also i learned how to work with a, a a tobacco medicine called hape um which is absolutely beautiful as well i mean but we we are talking that's not psychoactive but it's usually used in a mm. ceremonial setting um and so that was more like learning about how to use psilocybin in a, a ceremonial fashion so um you know how indigenous cultures have used it and then I went on to study psilocybin in a clinical way and how to how to use it psychotherapeutically with people um, through various methods. And um, also had, you know, my own experience with uh, various microdosing as well, understanding how how it worked for me to, by the way, if anyone sort of recommends microdosing ayahuasca not sure that's a good idea because i tried that and it was <laughs> too, too much for me but psilocybin microdosing psilocybin is, is beautiful there are certain contraindications in terms of if you're using ssris with psilocybin um that it works on the same um oh what are they called the um is it the synapses in the brain it works on the same part and that if you're using ssris it binds to the same part so that you wouldn't necessarily you'd need to basically wash out ssris if you're going to work with psilocybin <clears throat> because you wouldn't experience the medicine as well um so uh, so that's the plant medicine side of things but then of course ketamine has come into my my practice now mm. and i've been very lucky to work with a clinic that's based in knightsbridge uh, with a with a wonderful team over there um, because I'd been I'd been sort of putting it out to the universe like I want to work with psychedelics more in my practice not sure how that's going to look and and then um, one of my wonderful friends and colleagues in the field um, put me said that they were looking for a therapist in the clinic and put me in touch and and I actually said to them look you know what about ketamine assisted psychotherapy because they were only doing the IV and then they wanted me to work with the clients thereafter uh, uh <clears throat> excuse me providing psychotherapy but more like a psychedelic assisted uh sorry so because I was psychedelically informed they wanted me to then work with the clients after on the integration but I said to them are you not doing the ketamine assisted psychotherapy um and they wasn't at the time and and that's where the clinic has now developed in that I'm now working with people. Uh, I, I gained my qualification in psych, uh, in ketamine assisted psychotherapy at the beginning of the year as well. So not that long ago. 
Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I was well in, well equipped to deal with psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, but I did want to learn and understand the, the ketamine as a different medicine because, of course, it's not cultivated from the ground. It's made through humankind. So the the thanks that we give to the medicine when we work with the medicine is that we thank the 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 researchers and the individuals that made this medicine synthetically. Um, and that's the respect that we give to the medicine when we work with it in the clinic, in a clinical setting. So um so yeah, so um that's that's where I am with the ketamine work which is it's just it's like a whole new level of development for me in my private practice as well and where do you think it could go i think with with the personal journey that you've taken and the incredible results you've seen now the work that you're doing with you know with with ketamine where do you think you know in the next five years you know if 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 this continues um how much more do you think we could add to people's lives? How much more do you think we could help, you know, in in using these these medicines, even if it then goes into the plant medicine? Um, do you think this could be a, a, a real game changer for the industry? Uh, I yeah, it's I I I feel really privileged to have been to be a very early contender in this market having had my own personal experiences with the medicine, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and now working with people in the medicine as well in a clinic in, in a, in a league, you know, it's illegal. It's legal to prescribe the medicine by a, a, a very respected psychiatrist that we work with. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm very, I feel like I'm ahead of the bloody game here, you know, mm. and there's are so there's so, you know, we know Gabor Mate talks a lot about using psychedelics for addiction treatment and, and healing of trauma. And, you know, you've got so many uh, amazing physicians, you know, talking about psychedelics, you're going to conferences popping up everywhere all over the world. Um, and, you know, trials, you know, more and more trials uh, starting with the use of, of plant medicine for various mental health conditions. And, uh I just think it's it's there's going to be a moment where it absolutely explodes because mm. Australia have uh, legalized the use of MDMA and psilocybin for treatment resistant depression. Now, I think that's probably a synthetic version of it, um, but uh, wonderful because, you know, there are GPs, doctors, psychiatrists that are uh, prescribing that for people over in Australia <clears throat> It's going to happen here in the UK, I think, in the next five years um, that they'll start prescribing psilocybin. Um, I certainly think psilocybin. I'm not sure on MDMA. But, um, yeah, and I think that it, it will serve people working in my industry to start to accept that this is the way that this industry is moving now. Um, mm. And also people that I would encourage people who are in recovery, if they're curious about it, not be afraid of exploring it with the right people in the mm. right kind of setting in a, in a safe container. You know, of course, I'm happy to talk to anyone if they're, if they're interested in, um, you know, understanding it a little bit more, but, uh, and that, and that's also for your listeners as well, you know, not just, the sort of mm. professionals but people who are looking to to explore that a little mm. bit more that you know I think it's really re you know we are moving in a direction where it's it's stopped it's we are I think we're filtering out this whole thing of it's all hippie shit because mm. it's not this is serious stuff mm. that changes people's lives you know it's absolutely changed my life and I feel like I'm exploding into another level of my own personal healing, but also my in my professional career as well. And I also attribute that to my plant medicine journey, not just my sort of foundation of my recovery, um, but the last few years of working with the psychedelics. Uh, and, and this is, you know, it's just going to continue. It's going to yeah. get even better. Oh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think it, it, it's such a, it's such a, powerful way to 
help us to dive deep, to look at those traumas, being in a safe and contained space is, is important, as you said. But also, I think one of the things that I've experienced, which I know you have as well, is it, our personal evolution. And I think this is something that's mm-hmm. going to be a huge game changer for men and women around the world who do this. You know, as I work with men, this is something that I, you know, I I highly recommend, you know, looking into and, and sort of diving into because it has certainly changed my life completely and my personal evolution for sure. Lucy's touched on, on hers, but what it does, which <clears throat> I can really attest to is it really allows you to connect with who you truly are. You know, people talk about these divine experiences and, you know, out-of-body experiences and, and these things do change who we are mentally, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually. And I truly believe, I think as, as Lucy mentioned that in the next five years, this is going to be something which will really, really change people's lives. But I think for us as a community, as men and women, it will clear away the codwebs, the BS, the labeling, the confusion, the pain, the hurt, the trauma, and it will bring us closer and closer and closer together in true understanding of who we are. Because that's one of the most powerful things I've realized that the medicine does. It, it It's ego death. And I've experienced that. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. for another episode. Yeah. But, you know, what it has shown me is is the true meaning of of us of me of i as a man you as a woman you know what that truly means being able to to step away from the labels and and see see things for what they truly are and i think when people are struggling and suffering and and i'm sure you can talk on this as well lucy with regards to you know when we are like at the depths of of the pain and the darkness and the distress and the addiction and you know the confusion we're all seeking i remember always seeking seeking for truth seeking for a way out seeking for healing seeking to just feel better seeking to 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 just change things to not be this 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 person anymore and do you think what what's what are your thoughts you know, of that having also that sort of attachment and connection to to the medicine. Because, you know, that was, as, as you touched on, you know, this was hippie shit, you know, a few years ago. And I used to think it was. I used to think, man, this is hippie stuff, man. I'm, I'm not interested, but now I'm <laughs> I'm a huge spokesperson for it. Um, and not from a hip, you know, not from a hippie perspective, from from a life-changing perspective. <clears throat> Uh, I think that psychedelics give our soul an opportunity to glance at what real uh, peace and contentment can feel like. And it moves all of the bullshit out of the way. And it, I think that what it does is that it helps um, our soul to feel like what it might feel like to return home. Mm. And my belief is that uh, when we are ready to, I believe that we in- incarnate time and time and time again. Um, but what I believe is that our soul's purpose is to return to source. And psychedelics give us an opportunity to understand what that might feel like. And our purpose on earth is to help humankind be kind, be loving, uh, learn many, many lessons and if you don't learn the lessons here, you're going to fucking well come back and learn them again in a different lifetime. That is my belief. And I think psychedelics have a have a real close link to all of those things of what our soul's purpose is. So I think that's why that's why, um, you know, it's it, I think it's a really important journey that that, you know, maybe everyone should try at mm. some point in their mm. life. And, uh, and, you know, and hopefully if, if people can, can, can move that hippie shit bullshit out the way, 
um, and and understand that these medicines are growing out of the earth for a good reason. Mm. We haven't stumbled across them for for enough for no reason, you know. Um, that it's it, what they are doing is they are contribution contributing to the expansion of consciousness, which is what we are all as a collective mm. aiming for on this earth. And that is of being of a, a more higher, beautiful, loving frequency, which is what these psychedelics gives you the opportunity to do. There is a little bit, there's a bit of a, a split in opinion in the plant medicine community of the synthetic versions of these medicines. Um, there are a certain level of that that I, I agree with and I disagree with because I mentioned earlier with ketamine, you know, it, it is synthetic. It was made by man. But um, if you're working with the medicine and respecting the medicine and, you know, in a ceremonial setting, you're always going to thank Mother Earth for producing psilocybin and growing out the ground in, in a in a ket in the ketamine clinic. You're going to thank mankind for making this medicine and cultivating it and and bringing it into the clinic to work for the healing purposes the energy you're going to put into anything is going to matter in terms of the results that you're going to get out of it so if you're using ketamine in a safe container with an experienced therapist who is going to in a way bless the medicine which is what we do in a ceremony you know it's you're already starting off on a positive footing i think that there could be dangers with the synthetic versions of 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 um possibly psilocybin in in it you know but that's you, we're living in a world where you you're gonna have these sort of you know mm. the the polarities of negative and positive it's yeah. just life you know mm. so you know if, if we can be as um uh, as, as informed as possible it, i'm talking about professionals when it comes to the medicine work then you know there there is a there is a fucking revolution that's going to start mm. um and i am so so grateful to be part of this process to be leading it almost it. leading yeah. leading leading from leading. the top <laughs> leading from the front and the top <laughs> absolutely that's what we love that's it loose how can people find you so uh my private practice work and uh you know if you're in if you've worked with psychedelics and you're looking for integration oh by the way integration 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 is so important people go and have the psychedelic journeys and they're left with all this crap and they don't know what to do with it really honestly if you're going to work with psychedelics think about integration before you even go mm. <clears throat> so um for my private practice work uh you can go to my website it's uh, lucy Dis uh, www.lucydesilva.com or you can email me lucy at lucydesilva.com um, for the ketamine clinic <clears throat> excuse me for the ketamine work and the ketamine clinic and the wonderful team there including me um, you can go to the website which is www.ketamineclinicklondon.co.uk that's ketamineclinicklondon.co.uk ketamine has got an e on the end as well by the way um and there there is all the information on there the uh the, the psychiatrist that you'll be working with um and and you know someone you can contact uh you know me or well, the clinic through through that website yeah to get some more information yeah. what i'll do as well everyone who's listening i will put the websites on the on the blurb so you have access to that so you can go and have a look at lucy's work you can go and have a look at the ketamine clinic as well and do your research around this stuff it is a game changer you know working with the psychedelics working with plant medicine now doing this ketamine work you know these things are so important it's a huge part of your healing process something that lucy has done from a personal perspective i've also done it as well and you know it really does not only change your life it helps you to unlock areas you never thought possible and there are things there are experiences which i personally experienced that i didn't even know because it was so far down the line that it was blocking me in my day-to-day -day life. And due to doing that kind of work, it helped me to unblock and to heal from that. So there are huge, huge benefits. And 
But as Lucy also touched on, make sure you do some research. Make sure you go to the right people. Make sure that you are, you know, the you know that you are being held. It's a safe space, a safe place. And there is the integration work that, as Lucy said, it is so important that if you go and do that kind of work, that you do the integration work later because it will have huge benefits on your continuous healing. Because if you don't, you usually get thrown yourself back into your everyday life. And you and, and as you are always uh, as you are also very open, you can lead yourself into, you know, into receiving and experiencing more trauma. Um, uh, re-traumatizing people it can be. Yeah. And so, yeah, keeping in mind set and setting as well, just yeah. to sort of finish that off. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Listen, thank you so much, Luce, for coming on, for sharing Pleasure. your knowledge, your wisdom, for being <laughs> here. I always love talking to you. And it's so nice that we can get to do this and people get to see and hear yeah. your wisdom and your knowledge and, and so much thank value you. that you can you can bring to people. Listen, guys, as always, thank you so much for, for listening, for being part of this community. Remember, if you like this and you love it, share it, share it. Remember to, to, to follow and keep listening. I do these episodes every Friday. Remember, I am launching the Alpha Wellness app which is to help men overcome issues caused by mental health and helping you become stronger in mind, body, spirit. Also follow me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Instagram, YouTube, and you can go onto my website, www.alexdesilva.co.uk. Have an amazing day, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. And I will speak to you again very soon.